good morning, church. It's good to see all of you, and um, I uh, I am honored to be here with you. We have worship today, haven't we? I uh, am preaching on a subject that's a little different from Palm Sunday, but uh, God has really put this on my heart when I preached through this uh, last week. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I, I covered this message in, in our in our passage, and I. I went through it, but I didn't go through it carefully, and I, I had a lot of questions, a lot of comments. They were good, people asking me things, and so I said, well, let's, let's go back and talk about worship. And so today we're going to talk about worship, and AJ, bless you for bringing great worship to us, and for our choir. Aren't we thankful for our choir? They, the, you guys, I, I'll tell you, I hear these big choirs that have hundreds of people, and y'all sound as good as they do. God bless you. And what a way that you serve our church. We need an appreciation for worship. We need to understand what that means. To come to God's house and be profoundly moved by who he is. We need that. And sometimes we need a reference point and say, i got to come back here. What a great week to start off Easter week. If you can't worship Easter week, you have, you have nothing to say. This is a great week. So we're gonna, we're gonna talk about worship. And when you leave today, you don't have to take notes. I'm gonna give you a lot of information. At the end, I have two points. And then I've got a conclusion, but I'm, I'm gonna give you all my conclusion to take with you. So don't bother taking notes. And going out that door and over here, we'll give it all to you. But I want you to listen. I want you to worship. And understand what Christ wants us to do when we come to Him. John chapter 4, 19 through 24. Jesus, in having a discussion with a Samaritan woman, she begins to question him about the location of worship and and says to him, Sir, the woman replied, I see your prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, yet you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus told her, Believe me, woman. And again, that's not disrespect. It's like saying, Ma'am, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here. Church, it's here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and And in truth, Father, thank you for your word. Speak clearly to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our concept of worship is a little skewed. We talk about it a lot. But we always talk about it in terms of what kind of music we like or we don't like or what kind of preaching we like or we don't like. For most of us, worship is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. That's when we worship. Believe it or not, there are Bible-believing churches that don't worship at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. They might worship at 8 or 9 or 10.30 or 1. There's nothing in the Bible that says we worship at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. We allot roughly one hour for worship. 
These are some things that I have thought, just wrote down and just in my comments with people. It fits the confines of our comfort zones. We like a certain kind of music. We don't like other kinds. We like our services to not to be too long, but then again, we don't want them to be too short because we didn't get anything out of them. We enjoy a certain style of music and preaching. If I stood up on the back of the pew and started shouting, you would be frightened. Probably be greatly entertained also as I would fall. So we like preaching, but we don't want it too long and we don't want it too short. We don't want it too deep or we don't want it too shallow. It should fit the norms of what we like and enjoy. We always take an offering. We always have prayer. We always read the Bible. We always give a chance to respond. But other things like the comfort of our sanctuary is important. If we came here and it was very hot like it was early this morning, you probably wouldn't like it. If it was cold, you certainly wouldn't like it. You like decent lighting. You like a working sound system. We love our choir. You have to be a part of our worship. And we do like our 11 o'clock time. But let me tell you, our concept of worship largely revolves around us. And in the Bible, nothing is further from the truth. Because the Bible teaches us that worship is about God. It is about who God is and what God has done. And as we began this week of Palm Sunday when our children brought the palm leaves down, we recognized that this day and the week before Christ died, that he came victorious into the city of Jerusalem. But when he came into the city, there were people that thought he might be the Messiah, but didn't know. There were people that thought he might be a great king who would overthrow the Romans and bring power for the, for the Jewish people, because that was their concept of a Messiah. And there were a bunch of people that didn't have a clue who he was and just came to see the crowd. And I think we're a lot like that now. Some people may understand, some have the wrong impression, and some don't have a clue. But Jesus gives his instructions on how to pray, how to worship. And so I want to look briefly at that this morning. I'm, I've got my two points. I want to start with one. God, let me tell you, church, God will change our concept of worship. The Samaritan woman began this discussion with Jesus and she says, you know, we're Samaritans and we worship here. The Samaritans were um, outcasts from the Jewish faith. They came back from the Assyrian uh a captivity and they didn't have a home. So they settled there in what used to be Israel uh, and Judah would be in the south. Jerusalem, they did, Jerusalem wasn't their capital. So they set up a place of worship on Mount Gerizim. And that was their temple. And they only believed in five books of the Bible, the first five books of the Bible. It's all they worshipped, all they used. And they didn't even believe in the rest of the Bible. And I'm going to tell you about that. When, when you... When you take part of the Bible and you rip it out, then you miss God's truth. You can't do that. I can't do that. I mean, there's things that I have a hard time preaching. Well, that's my problem. And that's between me and God. I can't just say, well, I'm not going to cover that. I mean, the Samaritans discarded two-thirds of the New Old Testament because they didn't like it. Didn't fit. Well, they missed the whole word about the Messiah. They missed all the instruction about his coming. They missed all the prophecy about the nation of Israel and how vital it was in God's kingdom. They missed the whole thing 
Because they discarded all but five books of the Bible. They worshipped on that mountain. They thought they had it all. They did everything they wanted to do. They had religion just the way they wanted it. She told Jesus, our people worship here in this way. This is what we like. Does that sound familiar? I mean, I think we sometimes do the same thing. We kind of worship with what we like and what's comfortable and what we've always done. And and they they didn't have a clue what they were doing and who they were worshiping. And they missed God in that process. Jesus called them out on it. And then he said, over in verse 21, he says, believe me, woman, again, I, I always have a hard time with that. I always say ma'am, because that's, that's really the way that would have been heard. An hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, because the Jews worshiped, worshiped in Jerusalem. They had the temple there. And as far as the Jewish mind went, they had it all. They were God's people. They had the law. They had the whole Old Testament. They were waiting on the Messiah. Well, the irony of it, as the Messiah was right there among them and they didn't see him. As a matter of fact, he had gone to the people that the Jews most disliked and converted this woman from Samaritan, from Samaria because he knew the trouble he would have when he went to Jerusalem to do the same thing. And so the Jews thought they had it, but they didn't have it. They had the whole Bible, but they didn't listen to it. They changed it by their tradition and their ideas and their thoughts. And worship was pretty far from God on both accounts. And Jesus said, I'm going to really change all this. Because he said, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. In other words, he said, there's going to be a time when it won't matter where you worship God. Now, that would be like saying... First Baptist Church, we, we're going to bulldoze this church down next week and we're going to go worship somewhere else and we're going to find God there. You would all say, Jim, there's no way we would do that. Because, you see, you know, as well as I know, that this church is not where God is. This church is important to us. It's a great resource, great facility, nice place, good sound system, have a lot, you know, a lot of seats. It's great, but this is not the only place we can worship. You know that. The Jews didn't really know that. They thought the temple in Jerusalem was the only place they could worship God. Jews would come from everywhere. And then when they all came back scattered all over Asia and over Europe, when they came back, the, the Jews had to make some rules. So they said, anytime you got ten males, you can have a little church. But if you're a real Jew, you'll come to Jerusalem. <laughs> Jesus said, we're getting ready to turn all that down. Because God's going to change your whole concept of worship. And, and we have to realize that our, our worship is not tied to a facility. I'm not going to tell you yet what it's tied to, but I'm going to tell you it's not tied to a building. It's not tied to a place. It's not tied to a tradition. It's not tied to an hour. It's not tied to our concepts of it. It is about God entirely. In fact, he says in verse 22, you Samaritans worship, worship what you don't know. They didn't, they were worshiping God. They didn't even know who God was. They missed two thirds of him. They didn't have a clue who he was. And he says, we worship what we do know. The Jews did have that right. But he said, salvation is from the Jews. And the Jews didn't realize that. They didn't see that. I mean, Jesus would walk right in the middle of them and they would still be saying, where's the Messiah? So there was a lot of confusion. 
But Jesus is saying, God's going to change our concept of worship. You know, church, I, I, I want you to, before I even get to point two, I want you to understand. I want you to let God change your concept of worship. I want your concept of worship to be influenced by what God says, not what your tradition is or what your idea is. Now, I like tradition, and I like our music, and I like I'm, we'll, we'll address all these things a little bit. But it is not about us. Worship is not. Did, didn't you sense in that music, didn't you sense God working and showing you how wonderful and powerful and loving he is, that he sent his son to die for us, and this week we get to celebrate that? Isn't that great? That's what it is. Number two. Number two. We have to worship God in spirit and truth. That's the answer. Jesus says that. Verse 23, he says, an hour is coming and is now here. And I, every time I read this, I say, it is here. It's right here. Now is it. The hour is here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And everybody wants to know, what does spirit and truth mean? If you have your Bibles, if you're looking at your Bible, you'll probably find the spirit is not underlined, to, uh, not capitalized. If it were the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, we would, we would capitalize it. We'd say, it's the Spirit of God, it's God. But we're not saying that. God, Jesus is not saying that. He's not telling us that we worship in the Holy Spirit. Though we do worship in the Holy Spirit, it's, the Greek is very clear. He is talking about worshiping within the human spirit. He is saying that we need to worship in spirit in all that we do. All of our being, all of our inner self is what we worship. We gotta put ourself, we gotta put our heart into worship. It needs to be something that we do. It happens in our very core. You know, when we worship God and we get those moments and they don't happen all the time and they might happen here in a worship service, they might happen, they might happen in your car when you're listening to great music and you're praying on the way to work. You might have a moment like that. You, you might have that moment in your quiet time. That's why I beg you to have quiet time and sit before God and have worship in, in His Word. Sitting down with his word, you'll, you'll feel like the cathedrals of Europe in the quietness of your little home. You're worshiping your very heart. What's inside of you? That's what Jesus said. You gotta worship in your spirit. Uh, outward performance may or may not be worship. Spurgeon said, God does not hear our voices. I'm so glad for that, AJ. He doesn't hear my voices. He hears my heart. And if our hearts do not sing, we've not sung at all. How about that? Sometimes we sing, and we sing loud and sing well, but we don't worship. Sometimes we pray with our lips, but we really don't worship. Sometimes we give, but we give begrudgingly or out of obligation or out of a sense, i got to do this or duty, and that's not worship. But you know what? Sometimes we don't do any of those things, and God pours over us like a wave that just covers us up. We worship in our inner self. That's what that means. Everything about us. Outward performance, no matter how good it sounds, doesn't measure the depth of our worship. We, we could go to the most beautiful cathedral, hear the most beautiful music, whatever that would be. The most reverent hymns, and we still not worship. Because it's not an outward performance, it's about what's going on in our heart. And, and I will tell you, some of the most precious worship in the Bible occurs 
in the most unlikely circumstances. If, if you, and I'm not going to ask you to do this, but if you go over to Acts chapter 16, you know, there's Paul and Silas. They got rested. I jotted down just some of the things that happened to them. The magistrates ordered them stripped of their clothes, beaten with rods, thrown into prison, secured their feet in the stocks. Uh, the scene here at midnight is a place of most intense misery. Their backs are hanging in shreds. They're in the inner dungeon of the jail. Feet in stocks. No comfort. No no pros- No hope. No complete uncertainty about what's going to happen. I, I, wrote the, I read this and one of the commentators said, maybe one of them said to the other, Paul, I just can't take it anymore. Silas said, I can't either. I just got to sing. <laughs> And that's what they did. They broke out in this circumstance in worship. And they said, listen to what the Bible said. And all the other prisoners were listening to them. And you know what it did? It led to the conversion of their jailers. (laughs) How about that? The most unlikely circumstance that God filled their heart and filled their spirit and they worshiped. That's what worship is all about. Boy, I pray that we're the kind of people that worship in spirit. That, that we learn to worship in spirit. That we, that we have God teach us that. That we learn it in his word. But we learn to worship in spirit. Okay. The second part is to worship in truth. Truth's really important. Truth, you know, nobody believes in truth anymore. I mean, there is no truth. Uh, I just heard a thing on the paper today that Harvard... College, university, I don't know what they call themselves now, but they have decided that their song that they've sung since they were founded, this real pretty song, I don't know the name of it, but the last word of it mentions the Puritans, and they said the Puritans don't represent the diversity that we have now. So they're taking it out. Because they said truth is subjective for all people. Let me tell you, Christians, truth is not subjective. It is founded entirely on the Bible. It is on God's word. In order for us to worship, we have to worship in spirit and in truth. Listen to Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. For we are the circumcision, the ones who serve by the spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. Paul says that Christians, real, genuine Christians, are Christians who serve and worship by the Spirit of God. They boast only in Christ Jesus, and they don't put their confidence in the flesh. They look to the truth of God. And John, the gospel, it's interesting. There are three musts that John says in this whole book. In John 3, chapter chapter 3, verse 7, he says, you must be born again. In chapter 3, verse 14, the Son of Man must be lifted up. In John 4, 24, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. That is a must for us to learn to worship in spirit and truth. Christian worship is the biggest thing that we ever do. And truth means that we worship what is true about God. You gotta know what's true about God. You gotta have the whole Bible. Can't have five books. I can't pick out my best four and preach from them all the time. Believe me, I could stay in four books in all my life and never have to get in some of my discomfort zone and just, just preach what, what I like to hear, what you probably like to hear. That is not 
the way the Bible is. You got to read the, the whole book is truth. There's parts in this book that I, that are hard for me, that make me change, that make me feel convicted of my far, how far away I am from God. There are parts of this book that show me that there's things in my life that I have to do differently. That I have to alter my lifestyle. I don't, I don't say I'm going to do whatever I want and God's going to love me just because that is not biblical. That is not biblical. It's not the way God works. We worship what is true about God. If we worship on things that aren't true about God, that's not real worship. Jesus says we have to worship in spirit, the core of our being, and by the truth of God. Those are the two requirements to worship, spirit and truth. you got to have them. It's the most important idea that we can entertain. What is God like? What does he do? What does he want? And the way we answer that will affect the way we live. If you don't believe that God is a creator of the universe that has power and authority and dominion over everything, it's going to affect the way you live. If, if you think, if you think God is your pal and you can intone a few prayers and get exactly what you want, God's like a genie or like a slot machine. Instead of putting coins in, you put prayer in and you get out what you want. If you think that's who God is, your whole theology of life is altered. And I'm going to tell you, you're in big trouble. And, and the people that believe like that, they're one personal tragedy from losing their faith. You have to worship God in who he is. And I know people that get all built up in the spirit that they say, and they worship, and God does what they want, and if they have enough faith, God will heal, and God will touch. That There is nothing in the Bible that says that. you got to worship in truth. It's very, very important. You know, uh, it's interesting. I never thought about this. I saw it this week. Cain killed his brother Abel. And it apparently happened over a sacrifice. Cain wanted to pre- present God a, a, a sacrifice of an animal. Uh, or, excuse me, a, sacri- a sacrifice from the field. His brother Abel uh, produced one from from uh, from an animal. Cain probably thought, listen, uh, you know, why, why do you have to kill something? I mean, my sacrifice is better. I think it's a good idea. But, but you know, that's not what God thought. God was pleased with Abel's, but not with Cain's. It's very, very important. You might think that you can live the way you want, do what you want, act and conduct your life the way you want. That doesn't mean God's going to bless it and be pleased with it. And God will let you do whatever you want to do, unfortunately. He's given us wide open choice. If we don't ground our life in truth... We're in big trouble from the start. And a church that says we have no truth, that the Bible is, um, like many people believe our Constitution is, it's a living document. Let me assure you, the I am not a lawyer. I don't know. I can't speak for the Constitution. But I will assure you, God's Word is not a living document. It is planted by the Holy Spirit. It is set for eternity. God does not change. That's one of the truths in the Bible. He doesn't change. And so if anybody's got to do some adjusting, it needs to be me, not God. And so Cain distorted the truth about God's wisdom, and it brought about disaster in his life. 
And so the 21st century concept of God is kind of whatever we want God to be. Some, some people believe God is this faraway God that he doesn't really impact anything, doesn't care about anything. But you know what? They never read the New Testament and see God take on humanity and walk with people and didn't see him say that come to him, everybody who's burdened, and I'll give you rest. They didn't see that about God. And then there are people that think God will do whatever they want him to do. And that's not, that's not biblical either. God's my buddy. There's a whole movement about God's my buddy. He's my pal. He wants to do stuff. He wants to make me rich. He wants to make me healthy. He, he wants, he wants to do whatever I want. I assure you, if you read the Bible and read the people that followed God, none of them thought that about God. Because none of them, Abraham, the man that God blessed to found a whole nation, Abraham died with nothing but a few descendants and no land and no inheritance. And God had promised him an inheritance that would cross kingdoms and generations. We see it happen now. But Abraham never saw it. But he trusted God. He believed what God said. He took him at his promise. And God was true and faithful to it. And so... An hour is coming now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And, and listen to this. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship Him. That, that's really important. You know, you know, God, God wants us to worship Him. God, the, the text kind of gives a, a, an intensity on the part of God. That God wants us to worship Him like that. He wants us to come together and worship Him. I, I believe that's why if a Christian stays away, a believer, a real believer that's got the Holy Spirit inside of them, if you stay away from God's people and stay out of the church and you stay out of the Word, you're going to be dissatisfied and restless. You're going to be unfulfilled. Because there's a part of you that says that God is pulling you back to worship Him. He desires that you do that. It's not just something out of obedience. It is obedience. But God desires us to worship him. You know, I, I think in, in the height of our worship in spirit and truth, we begin to understand who God is. You know, when the tears flow down your cheek and you feel touched in your heart by the word of God or by a message or by the great music or by the encouragement or the prayer of a saint, then you see God working in a way that you've never seen before. It's so important to worship him the way he calls for us to worship him. And, and Jesus says, when you do that, you're, you're going to get to know God. So God seeks us to worship him. And then verse 24, just in case we miss it, and I'm the one. See, this is written for me. After all of this discussion, Jesus says at the end, God is spirit. He, he's spirit. He's here among us. He's in your heart. When you guys set out for Vermont, he's right in you. He'll guide you and direct you and lead you. When you're in the midst of tragedy and loss and pain and grief, God's written right there. He's, he's as close as a prayer. It says God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. That's how we got to worship God. We can't, we can't come in here and say, I'm going to keep doing whatever I want to do. I'm going to live the way I want. I'm going to set up my life my way and I'm going to come in here and worship God. I'll tell you God won't honor that in your life. In any way, he won't do it. He says you got to worship in truth. You got to know who God is. You got to read the Bible. You got to be people. That's why you got to be a student of the Word. I know. I know some people think they kind of graduate above that. They don't have to do that anymore. Every one of us need to be students of the Word. We got to sit and be taught and learn and let the Scripture pour over our heart. 
because it'll change us. It, it's, I, I, I promise you, church, the Bible's changed me more in the last year than it's ever changed me in all my lives, uh, all my years until then. It, it just, it just pours over our life. You gotta worship Him in truth. You gotta, you gotta get down to the heart of worship. Let me, let me conclude. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you some things. I'm gonna tell you, I'm not gonna read all this, but I'll, I wanna give you, I'm gonna give you three parts of my conclusion. Now I'm gonna go over to the book of Revelation and say, boy, Jim, you start in John, you end up in Revelation. What a message. <laughs> but you know what, church? If you wanna learn how to worship, that's where you go. When you go to Revelation, you, you see, you see what? The saints, when people, when we go to heaven, everybody says, what are you gonna do in heaven? Right here tells you what you're gonna do. This is what we're gonna do. Listen to this. John, I, the, the way, the way, the way this flows, and I'm gonna go to John chapter four, Revelation chapter four. This is the same apostle writing this book, John writing this book. He saw a vision of heaven. In chapter four, I want you to listen to this. I want you to listen to the words of it. And I'm, I wrote these, these scriptures down for you in the little handout I'm gonna give you because I want you to see it. Immediately I was in the spirit and there in heaven a throne was set. One was seated on the throne and one seated looked like Jasper and Cornelian stone. Looked like it. He couldn't describe it. That's all he said. A rainbow that looked like an animal surrounded by the, surrounded the throne. And around the throne were 24 thrones and on the throne were 24 elders dressed in white clothes. I'm not going to go into all that. But, but listen to this down, down in verse eight. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy Lord God, the almighty. Who was, who is, and who is coming. How about that? Down to verse 11. Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you've created all things. And because of your will, they exist and were created. How about that? And then they sang a new song over in chapter 5, verse 8. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals because you are slaughtered and redeemed. You redeemed people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people on earth. Church, you ought to celebrate what Christ did for you that week. That's, that's what they're doing in heaven. They're praising God that he saved them. That's what the saints do in heaven. They're thanking God. They recognize that he knew everything and he loved them still. And he redeemed us by the blood of the lamb. That's what he said. The bloody cross. The lamb who was slaughtered is worthy, down in verse 12, to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. How about that? I love that. But I want to get real practical. I want you to take some things out of here. What are some parts of real worship? Let me tell you, God, worship, real worship's got to be God-centered. It's got to be centered on God. It's not centered on AJ or on me or on Jacob or on you. It's not about what you like or what you don't like. It's in spirit and truth. It's grounded on the word of God. It's God-centered. It's praise. You know, I know we Southern Baptists, it probably really hurt our shoulders. We lifted our arms up, but it would be a good thing I mean, what, what do you do sometimes when God does something? I mean, I know I don't, I don't think it's really good to run and shout, but there's, I mean, if I ran and shout today, I would have run and shout. I would have done it. We gotta praise. Maybe you praise in your heart. God hears praise in your heart. You can run up down this aisle in tennis shoes, but if you praise in your heart, God knows it. He knows that, that, that you've been touched by His Word, or you've been touched by, by His power. That's what He wants. Worship's music. Listen, we all, I've took a poll of music. We'd get all kinds of stuff in here. Music's not about what you like, not about what you don't like. The way I look at music, music is about the next generation. This generation's already here. Let's, let's get music here for the next generation. 
But let's worship. Let's, let's just have a little bit of music for everybody. That we can all worship. That's what, but, but worship is certainly music. Worship is adoration. You gotta just know who God is. And, and you know, you can do that in the quiet of your home. You can do that in the quiet of your car. You can do that in the noise of the sanctuary. That's what it is. Worship is preaching. Ha! My favorite part. John Piper said, it's, it's not the job of the Christian preacher to give people moral or psychological pep talks. I hope you never say I gave you a good pep talk about how to get along in the world. Somebody else can do that. Most of our people have no one in the world to tell them week in and week out about the supreme beauty and majesty of God. So many of them are tragically starved for a God-centered vision. End quote. How about that? That's what preaching needs to do. We need to have a vision from God when we come in here and preach. You need to hold me to that. And worship is focused on the finished work of Christ. Every, every Sunday, I hope sometime you hear in here that Christ died for you. The finished work of Christ. That, that's the reason we can worship. That's why we can go to the throne. That's why we can be forgiven. That's why we have Easter. That's why we have hope. That's why we can come here at a funeral and have joy in our heart, even in the midst of tears and sorrow, because of the finished work of the cross. That's what worship is. Okay, here are some departures from real throne room worship. Throne room, that's what, that's what the book of Revelation calls it, in the room where the throne was. That's what you want to do. You want to worship where the throne is. Because Hebrews says we can go boldly to the throne of grace. We have access. You, every one of us, have access to go boldly to God's grace. My time's over, but I'm going to get there. Let me tell you some things that depart and tear that apart. New innovations and inventions. AJ, I know you're disappointed to hear me say that. But listen, there are some things that don't belong in worship. I, I read I read about a preacher that was talking about running the race of life. And he had a suit on and he just tore his suit off and standing there in running gear. I don't think you need to do that. But I'm going to tell you, we don't have to, we don't have to worship the way we did in 1940 either. We just let the Spirit of God guide us and lead us. Just got to be careful about some of the new innovations. Make sure that they're grounded in truth, grounded in scripture. When, when worship departs from expository preaching, you know, a lot of, when you preach the Bible, when people say, well, we don't have time to preach the Bible anymore. We got all these great songs saying we can't preach anymore. That's, that's bad. When we depart from a Christ-centered focus, we start focusing on what man's doing, what the church is doing. You get a big church. Look how great our church is. When we discard the great hymns of our faith. You know, I'm, I love all kinds of music, but as long as I preach the gospel, I want some of the great hymns of our faith. You might put a different tune to them. You might speed them up a little bit. We don't have to all go to sleep or nearly die in the midst of some of them. But I will tell you, those great hymns of faith are inspired by God. Now, there's some great new, if you read the Gettys, if you listen to the Gettys and a lot of new Christian artists, they, they've got hymns that 20 years from now are going to be in the Baptist hymnal, if there is one. But they will be there. If Christ doesn't come back, they're going to be there. Let me tell you this, the absence of reverence. You know, we need reverence. And, you know, I know this isn't an Old Testament church, this is a New Testament church, but, but we need to come in and I'm going to speak to you briefly about preparing for worship. We got to prepare for worship. We, we need to make, when we come in here to worship, we, we need to shut the world down. We need to stop worrying about what we're going to do this afternoon or what we did last week or doing this or that. And we need to start focusing on God. And I'm not saying that as criticism. I'm just telling you. That's what you got to do. So here, here are some ways to re- restore our throne room worship. We got to have a right view of God. The only way that you can have a right view of God is from His Word. You don't get it from a preacher. You don't get it from a teacher. 
You don't get it from each other. You get it from God. God has given you his complete revelation, given that to me, filled up with his spirit. What more do we want? He has given us that. That has to be our standard for worship. We have to have a correct view of God. We have to make Christ the focus of our worship. I hope we do that in that church, in our church. I know as we plan worship, Christ is the center of our planning. We have to remember what worship is all about. It is not about making you happy or making me happy or pleasing people. It is about honoring and worshiping God. That's what it is. That is the purpose for worship. We have to return the Bible. We have to prepare for our worship. Listen to this quote. I got this quote uh, that I want you to that I want you to hear. Charles Spurgeon said this. I'm going to give it to you, so you don't have to write it down. You just listen. I'm going to put it up on screen. You can see. You probably can't even read it. It's so big, but you got it. Well, get a handout. You got it. Spurgeon said there should be some preparation of the heart in coming to worship God. Consider who he, he is, in whose name we gather, and surely we cannot rush together without thought. Consider whom we profess to worship, and we shall not hurry into his presence as men run to a fire. Moses, the man of God, was warned to put his shoes off from his feet when God revealed himself in a bush. How should we prepare ourselves when we come to him who reveals himself through Christ Jesus? There should be no stumbling into the place of worship, half asleep, no roaming here as if it were no more going to a playhouse. We can't expect to profit much if we bring with us a swarm. Listen. A swarm of idle thoughts and a heart crammed with vanity. We are full of folly. We may shut out the truth of God from our very minds. We have to prepare for worship. I expect that when we come in this place next week, it should be quieter in this place to prepare for worship. And finally, church, in order to worship God in spirit and truth, we have to repent. My heart is sinful, yours is sinful, and when you sit before God, you've got to say, Lord, I'm not worthy to be where I am. There's a lot of us think we deserve to be here, that God, I'm such a great God that Jesus died for me. But I will tell you, the truth of the Bible is, is that none of us are worthy before God. That God did this entirely out of his love, that we owe our salvation entirely to his mercy and grace. There's not one thing you did or I did to earn what he did. We must always keep that. And constant awareness. And he allows us to go to the throne. He allows us to come to him and petition him. And he allows us to love him. And to, and, and to speak our dearest thoughts to him. No Jew would ever consider doing what we do. Because they didn't have that access. So you got to repent. Clean your heart. That's a prerequisite for worship. Worship him. In spirit and in truth. Our father we thank you. That you will visit us. That you care about us. That you love us. That you saved us. And Lord, teach us how to worship you in spirit and truth. Not out of commitment or obligation. Sense of duty. But out of love and adoration for who you are. Lord, that is something only you can do. Mold us and make us and change us. According to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.